Welcome to Pacific Mammal Research's Marine Mammal Highlight Series. We are a 501c3 research and education nonprofit studying marine mammals in the Salish Sea off Washington State. In this series, you will learn about different marine mammals as we discuss interesting facts about each species. This is our way to geek out, share some information, and have some fun. We hope you enjoy the series and be sure to follow us on Instagram to vote for which animal we talk about next. And without further ado, Welcome to the Pac-Man podcast. This week is a marine mammal highlight, and this week we are doing the Rizos dolphin. Um, we'll talk about that pronunciation. <laughs> Apparently, I was saying it wrong for so many years, uh, I think. M maybe it's potato, potato. I'm not sure, but that's what we're going with. Um, so we're going to be talking about that. That's the one that won. It won fairly decisively in our uh, on our poll. It was like 15 to 2, I think. <laughs> the poor gray seal got no, no love best week, but I'm excited about the Rizos dolphin. Um, so I'm Cindy. I'm Kat. And I'm Trevor. And uh, Trevor's going to start us off, as always, with kind of the background information. And these guys look really cool, and they're very different than yeah. most other cetaceans. Um, so he'll talk a little bit about that uh, before we move on to the uh, diet and behavior and fun facts and things. So Trevor, start us off. Cool. So Riso's dolphin. <laughs> um, the range, I'll start off with that. They're actually found pretty much throughout the world. Um, they like tend to be in subtropical to subtropical areas, but their whole range goes from as far north as like Greenland and the Gulf of Alaska, all the way south to South America, to the tip of South America wow. at least. Yes, I think they're basically just not the poles. Yeah, <laughs> for the like, most part. <laughs> they've been that far north, not quite at the poles, but right. in south, but generally equatorial and around that area. Um, they are pretty much in every ocean and a few seas, like the Mediterranean Sea and the Red Sea. Yeah, so I, I'll be talking, the, a lot of the research has been done on the Mediterranean guys, that at least for the social stuff that I'm going to talk about. Yeah, and they prefer deeper water along continental shelves, which I'm sure you'll talk about too, hunting-wise mm -hmm. and all that. Um, but what they look like is they're kind of hard to miss or <laughs> misidentify, I should say. It's yeah. true. Yeah. I don't think there's, there's many cetacean species that you're like, well, it could be this one or this one. Well, and that's like, no, that's a resource stuff. Yeah. You say that I will actually talk about that in the fun facts a little bit though. Ooh, cool. Okay. Well, mm. in general, they are a dolphin, of course, and most dolphins have that pronounced snout. That's distinguishable, but these guys don't really have that pronounced snout. Kind of like an orca. Orca don't have that. Mm -hmm. now, even they're a dolphin, but these guys are a dolphin. They don't have it. Um, they have a pretty round or bulbous head as well. So mm -hmm. imagine like a fairly large tubular dolphin without the snout. I mean, it's just kind of like yeah, if you just like whale head, I guess is what I do. But maybe not quite as big. Yeah, like they basically just cut off the the, the rostrum, right? Yeah, <laughs> and then just right. fill out the the bulbousness around the whole thing, and <laughs> right. then you got a Rizzo's head. <laughs> Size-wise, they're they can grow up to 13 feet and 1,100 pounds, which again is pretty big for a dolphin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said, most of them are like 10 feet on average, but they can grow up to 13 feet. And that robust body that I mentioned kind of trickles down to a pretty thin tail and caudal peduncle area, mm -hmm. with a really yeah. tall dorsal fin as well. Yeah, that's one of the, the one, I think Kat's going to talk about that too. Yeah, again. Right, mm -hmm. yeah. Just general descriptions here, but. Yeah, but um, if, you, if you look at a picture, it, it does kind of look like the, the peduncle area, like right behind the dorsal fin and to the fluke, is not of the same animal. 
Right. The front of it's like mm-hmm. very big and like muscular. And then he's got skinny little legs. It's like a football player. Right. There you go. The big thick neck. Right. Within that downward-ish mouth too, without that obvious nose rostrum area, they have weird teeth as well. So they generally have pairs of two to seven teeth. I don't know how that varies so much from two to seven. You know, it, teeth are weird. That happens in it other said, It said no too. more. Yeah, no more yeah. than seven pairs in the lower jaw. Yeah, it's, yeah I mean, and only in the lower jaw. How does it, you know, this guy only has two, but this guy has seven. How does, you know, how does that work? Yeah. Well, but and it's, it's only there's, jaw, like you said. Yeah, there's other ones that have it, like, even with a lot of, even porpoise teeth, you know, they're like, well, there's anywhere between you know, 30 and 40. <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay. And that is low compared to other tooth cetaceans, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit with what they feed on. It kind of makes yeah. sense. Um, exactly. But they're they are like uh, sperm whales where it's just on the lower jaw. Exactly. Yeah. Coloration wise, calves are born pretty dark colored, either gray or black or brown sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then they have basically like a white anchor shape, white patch on their belly. So if you look at the pectoral fins, it's kind of like to the mouth and the pectoral fins there, a little mm-hmm. white patch. Um, and then as they age, they tend to get lighter for a number of reasons, both their skin gets lighter and then they can just get covered in scars. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why they're hard to misidentify because I think yeah. they are the most scarred cetacean, <laughs> really. No, it's true. They, they, I, I mean, rake marks are common. That's what basically what well, most of those are, is that the teeth marks that they're fighting mm-hmm. each other with, but Lots of cetaceans have those, but they usually heal up and they don't heal up in the way that they do on Rizzo's. Yeah. Right. Rizzo's. Sorry. I knew I was going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So basically they're born dark and then as they grow up, they get lighter and lighter to white based on both their, I think a little bit of skin coloration changes, but it's just, they get covered in those white scars. Well, what's interesting is I have a little tidbit on that is that um, they think that it is due to the loss of pigment during the healing process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm of that and they think that may have evolved to establish a social hierarchy oh wow that's interesting yeah i mean which kind of makes sense if that is a big part of their social world but you know you could just look at them like well dude look how white that guy is (laughs) that's the top don't want to mess with that guy (laughs) right nope and males do tend to have more of that some of the females will still have some like gray or brown on them but the adult males will be very white and the males Mm -hmm tend to be just a little bigger than females but mm-hmm. nothing that obvious it's kind of like purposes gotcha. where they're like oh well they're different but you wouldn't be able to see it in orcas for that matter too i mean you see a male come up and obviously see it's male with that giant dorsal fin but if it's just the size like a juvenile male and with a curved dorsal fin you can't really tell right so yeah. similar but the you know the dorsal fins are not like orca yeah <laughs> everybody's dorsal fin looks kind of the same for the uh yeah. but big in general though mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, for, for the size, yeah, the relative size. But yeah, that's what the that's what they look like. And again, hard to misidentify if you see them. And I think they're usually in groups of like 10 to 30, but I think you'll talk about that more. And yeah, you know. I'll talk more, but that's that's it. They can be in much larger groups, but that's kind exactly. of the their in general. Their average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's their description of where they live and what they look like and such. Cool. Cool. Uh, yeah. So they are pretty, like I said, unique looking. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, and what they eat. But first, we're going to take just a short break. So we will be back. (laughs) 
welcome back. Uh, we're going to be moving on to the diet and behavior of the resource dolphin, and they are actually quite interesting, uh, besides interesting looking. Um, I'm excited <clears throat> to hear about this part. Yes, there, there's, there's, there's some cool stuff. Um, so they do eat a few different species uh, foraging wise. They um, eat a few types of fish and some crustaceans, but most of their diet is cephalopods, right? So cephalopods Ooh. are like your squid and octopus. And squid is their prey of choice. Basically, that's their diet. <laughs> they love squid. Do we know percentages at all? Or, I mean, I'm assuming yeah. they vary. Yeah, no. It, when I was looking up some of the stuff, I, I didn't see anything blatant about, like, it was this, this I, much percent. But it was... I thought it's about 60%. Okay. Yeah. It's, at least I'm, in general, but that's the whole, you know, the whole world, so. Yeah. Sure. I yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like 90%. I mean, it's like, they're squid. Yeah. And... That's okay. like the first thing on every one. They're like squid, 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 squid. And cool. there's different types of squid too, depending on where they're at. Really? Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this kind of uh, makes sense uh, with their teeth again. So, uh, you know, like sperm whales are also giant squid eaters. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, massive. Um, uh, but they, they're not using those teeth for chewing. It's just for grabbing it. And then they kind of, I think they suction it a little bit like yeah. sperm whales do and like uh, belugas I believe because they don't really have teeth either very much correct um so they just suck it in so I think that kind of makes sense as to why they their their teeth patterns they don't need too many even they only have like two Not really for shredding it's just for capture yeah yeah it's yeah. just for grabbing and then they they suck it in um and uh and I'll and we'll talk a little bit more about those teeth um uh, in a minute but it it does make sense too of uh why they're nocturnal foragers, right? So they're mainly feeding at night uh, and squid are uh, part of that deep scattering layer, <clears throat> which is that, you know, basically layer of animals just kind of hangs out and down in the depths of the ocean. Uh, and people used to think that like they got, they mistook it for like the bottom of the ocean because it's so thick, Dense. like the depth sounders and stuff would actually bounce off of it. Um, mm -hmm. But then they saw that it moved. <laughs> like, hmm. That's mm. interesting. How crazy would that be if you didn't really know what was down there yet and you actually <laughs> thought that was this bottom of the ocean, but it, it just undulated. Just randomly moved up and up. down. Yeah. That would be so terrifying. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's going on with the world? Right. It's like the sky is falling, right? The sky is falling. I know. Anyway, sorry, that was so, just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so they 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 once they realize that and they they see they found that at night the that deep scattering layer moves up, especially it'll even go up up higher, I think, when it's like a full moon, they get attracted mm -hmm. to the light. Um, so the animals in there are feeding on the plankton and stuff that's there. And then it really uh, makes it for the predators to be like, well, they're all there eating that. Well, we're, I'm gonna go there and eat them. So they like to feed at night on the squid that come up in, the, um, in that deep scattering layer, which is kind of cool. Um, and as Trevor noted, <clears throat> they do like deeper water. And again, they're, uh, as we've talked about before, all these animals follow the prey, right? They need to eat uh, and it's tough being out there in the ocean. So they will, um, they are found in deeper water up to 3,300 feet. Uh, and that's common, I think too, for those, the squid and stuff like that, that live in those deeper water areas. Yeah. Um, and so they can dive up to a thousand feet, which is pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty deep. Yeah. Uh, and hold their breath up to 30 minutes, but um, because the prey is coming up to them, they don't really have to do that that much. So they, they usually gotcha. have, you know, shorter dives, shallower dives, which is fairly common. Like anytime we say like, well, they can dive as deep as this, that's the record. 
that's not usually what happens it, right i mean i tell i work on a way of watching book for those wondering and i say the same thing to people like yeah these humpbacks can die for 30 minutes but they usually don't but that's when they do but <laughs> yeah. right i was gonna say <laughs> yeah but you said it was rare well yeah. well anyway. and, and cetaceans like to make make us liars <laughs> <laughs> this is what they do and then they'll just not do that yeah um so before they dive they'll take up to 10 to 12 breaths at a time uh or in, in a row at about 15 to 20 seconds apart so uh you know getting all that oxygen that they need to stay down for however long they're going to um and what i thought was interesting is that they'll actually fluke so fluke up so hmm. when they dive they actually lift their flukes up out of the water their tail and swim down and not a ton of dolphins, like smaller dolphin species, really do that that often. I was going to say, not orca. Obviously, are the biggest dolphin. They don't fluke. They, they yeah, are they so back. They don't fluke. Right. You'll you'll see it like oh, it's going to come out, and no, it doesn't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, we call it a peduncle dive, where you see that back part of the tail stalk, but you don't really see the tail. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting, interesting that they they will actually do that, which is kind of hmm. cool. Uh, I don't think I. I I, I've seen them before and I, I didn't have not seen their flukes like that, but no, um, me neither. I've only seen them like once. So <laughs> I'm an expert. I am not. <laughs> um, so they don't just use those flukes for diving. Um, they are quite social and we're learning more and more about their sociality um, from some long-term research, especially that's in the Mediterranean, as I mentioned before. So there's this uh, Jonian dolphin conservation group um, and I'll talk about them in a minute. Uh, but they've been doing work for the last 20 years looking at these these animals and um, they will they're very active at the surface uh, much like other dolphin species they um, they will leap they will slap their flippers and flukes they'll even spy hop which is super cute so this big bulbous head just like sticking mm -hmm. out of the water <laughs> um, but they are aggressive towards one another and so back to those teeth um, some of it is kind of a mating display where they are aggressive towards each other. And I think that's also why males tend to have more of it than females. Sure. Um, the males could be aggressive to females, but they're really going to be aggressive to the males because they're trying to, you know, get with the female. Like, I, I'm, I need to win. So, um, <clears throat> so those are the main cause of those rake marks. Um, there are some, you know, there's some of the prey. So there's the squid that they eat. They've got beaks. Um, so that could cause them. And I saw somewhere that they don't know what the size of the squid that they're eating is, but some of the species that they found, one of them can grow up to like 13 feet. Oh my gosh. That's as long as the potential. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure they're not eating that size, but when, you know, what's the cap, like, you know, they're eating right. juveniles, but up to what size, we don't know. A lot but of they, squid too, they have basically hooks on their tentacles as well. Yes, oh, that's right. So yep. we're, you don't really see a ton of those circle scars mm -hmm. like you do on sperm whales, the suctions, but it could be just, you know, they fighting do. back and dragging and yeah. Right, mm -hmm. right. Oof, that makes sense, yeah. So there could be some of that and there could be, um, you know, other predators, you know, if they get snapped on by some larger toothed whale or whatnot um, and uh, parasites and disease and that could go into that. But most of it is because they are just kind of beating each other up is why they get those, those rake marks. Mm -hmm. um, so the one thing that's great about those, those scars, uh, for any of us that do photo ID on these individuals, we always, it's, it's sad when you see that they have scars, but you're also like, yay, we can ID you again. <laughs> so, I was going to say that would actually be quite hard with them though, if they're accumulating scars at that rate. 
Well, but that this thing is that that these scars are stable for years. Like they've uh, oh yeah, but I just mean if you have you know if you have new ones over the top of the ones that you were using, you know, it's still there still will be a lot of nuance to that. Yeah, potentially. Um, and hmm. it, I mean, it, it it's like with anything, some animals are going to be really easy to ID and really stable, and other ones are going to get marks more often that cover up other marks. You know, because mm -hmm. it's 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 really if those marks get covered up by other ones. Exactly. If have, yeah. If you have more around the body, then you're just adding marks. Um, so I, I thought about that too, but they have done, um, uh, there's a paper that talked about the longevity of the marks and being able to use them for photo ID. And it was very valid. Most of the time it's the adults, the juveniles have less markings, um, for obvious reasons that they're not sure. ready to mate yet. And so don't need to have all that interaction. Um, but they are able to do this and that's what that Jonian, uh, dolphin conservation group does. And they have, uh, they have an automated ID system, uh, which is really cool. Wow. Um, yeah, using it's um I'll, we'll have the link in the in the program notes. But it's called Dolphin, D O L F I N. So mm -hmm. if you search for that, you should you should be able to come up. Um they do that and I think sperm whales they have another one, but um that's I think that's the the, the only ID program for resource dolphins. So they, it's kind of Very like happy cool. whale in that aspect of it, Yeah, kind of like happy whale. Yeah, like you it pulls it up and then it it, it it is specifically for resos, so it's looking at the scarring patterns and the dorsal fin um, to be able to find all those marks. Very cool. So with that, they've learned a lot more about their social status and their social social structure um, because they can know the individuals, right? That's the, what's that why that's so important, and that's why we do our work with photo ID. Um, <clears throat> you can't know the social structure unless you know the players. So they, uh, again, Trevor mentioned 10 to 30 or 50 individuals. I, I saw two kind of caps on that on different, different uh, sites, but generally smaller-ish groups, but they can be found alone and they can be found in super pods of up to uh, uh, thousands of individuals. So huge amounts. Cool. Yeah. Um, the, what's interesting is these guys have, and this word came up and I hadn't really heard of it before. They have a stratified social structure. Huh. Yeah, which, and I'm, I'm all about social structure. And I was like, oh, what does that mean? Because uh, most dolphin species have a fission fusion where they're living in groups that constantly change, but you have some long-term relationships usually within that. Um, but, you know, it's just like you go to work in the morning, you're with your work friends, then you go to lunch and you have, you know, go out with somebody else and then you go home and you have your family. So with, throughout the day, you have these changes, but these guys are a little different. This stratified um, within the larger groups, they have these smaller stable subgroups and the individuals are very loyal to these subgroups, very high fidelity. Dolphin clicks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. And so, so what's funny is you, it's almost like, uh, was it, is it West Side Story or, Gre or Greece or whatever? No, I think West Side Story where you have like the, the group of males that are like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So the adult males have these long-term bonds and are very loyal to those male, male, adult male groups. And then mothers and cows will group together um, and hang out. And that's, that's fairly common, but they're, they're not sure how, you know, if the, after they don't, you know, when they don't have a calf, are they still in that group or do they, um, you know, go somewhere else and then come back to the group when they have a calf again, they're still mm. don't understand that completely. But those, the males have their groups, the mothers and calves have their groups. Those are fairly, really stable, high fidelity. Um, they don't leave those groups very often. But the juveniles are like, ah, I don't need to be tied down yet. Let's go party. <laughs> so the juveniles have much less uh, fidelity. Uh, and so they can join and leave groups and do whatever juvenile resource dolphins do. Spread the gene pool. 
<laughs> well, not yet. They're not ready to do that yet, but they're. Well, I mean, eventually if they leave, but yeah. Yeah, they're scoping out their. Uh, well, you know, and they're looking like, oh, am I going to be with that group? Am I going to be, you know? Right. I was going to say, yeah, it's like a learning process for them too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And learning how to, you know, how do you get into that click, right? What's the mm -hmm. um, procedure? So the initiation process. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> Secret handshakes. Applications. Right? Yeah. Secret fluke shakes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so uh, reproduction wise, they're basically like, they don't know much. <laughs> they... They, I saw one that had that they're sexually mature around 10 years of age. It was like eight to 10 for females and 10 to 12 for males. But other ones said that they don't have an age. They only have the length. So it, from eight and a half to nine feet is when they're sexually mature. Which is probably oh, around wow. the age, I wonder. <laughs> yeah, it's probably around the age, but like, it's yeah. interesting that some specifically did not say an, an age range and they only said mm. when they're this big. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. I, and I would, I don't know if they've done um, teeth aging, you know, that's a fairly common mm. way to age animals, but they don't have that many of them. So maybe, <laughs> maybe when they strand or whatnot, they don't have teeth left. I don't know. Mm. Um, they carry their babies for a little over a year, 13 to 14 months. And on average, every two and a half years, um, the breeding and calving may occur year round, uh, but they do have peak calving periods, but they vary ge geographically. So in Japan, right. it's summer to fall, but in California, it's fall to winter. So that's that makes sense too, just based on the location and the temperature, water temperatures and such. Right. Um, so my last little part here, I'm super excited about because there, I did not know this, but they have hybrids. There are hybrids mm -hmm. between Risos and bottlenose dolphins. Which and they don't look much like at all. No, no they do <laughs> nope. not. Uh, and they exist in captivity and apparently they found them in the wild as well. Um, and I just thought that was super cool because th that's another example of an intergenous mating, right? You have the, mm -hmm. the false killer whale that the bottomless dolphin mated with. Um, you know, so this is Tristeops truncatus and then, uh, it's Grampus gracius. Gracius, yeah. Gracius, okay. Um, <clears throat> So you're not even within the same genus in taxonomy wise, you're stepping outside that and you can still mate. So I would, I would love to see, I didn't get to look up what the, what a baby Rizzo's bottlenose dolphin looks like, but. <clears throat> Do they have a name for them? Like, you know how they'll combine oh, the, the wolfen, like Right. We had the wolfen. Right. The, yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. I, they didn't say that. Basically all I saw, all I found was that they, they, they happen. Right. Interesting. So. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's um, hard with the guy's name being in the dolphin name. Right. Right. Um, so hmm, the, the cool. hybrids um, that exist uh, may be a result because they, they have a tendency to hang out with other species. So mixed species groups of cetaceans aren't, aren't as uncommon as we thought they were to begin with, right? The more we're out there, the more we find these, these groups that are together that are different species. But these guys tend to do it a lot. So they will harass and surf the bow waves of gray whales, which I thought was so cool. That's interesting. <laughs> like, it's like a giant. So you're just like, I'm just going to go ride the wave on this giant. So cool. And I, I wonder if the gray whales are like, oh, they're back again. Yes. Right. Just, oh my gosh. Get away. <laughs> Why? You're so annoying. Like little mosquitoes. Um, and then uh, with, interestingly, the in the Mediterranean, in the Gulf of Corinth, um, I uh, got to be out with the, not out there, but they came out on a boat that I was in the, in the Bahamas, um, the people who did the research for this. Um, but they have found rizos uh, associated with striped dolphins and common dolphins. 
Mm -hmm. And um, what's interesting is they only saw the Risos and I believe the striped dolphins, uh, I can't remember that specifically, but definitely the Risos um, were only seen there when they were in mixed species groups. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, so not sure what's going on with them, um, but they like to hang out together apparently. Hmm. Um, so that was kind of cool. And um, it's commonly noted that Risos will form traveling pods at sea with other dolphin species. So again, they just kind of say that. I didn't, didn't have time to go in depth as to all the different ones that they found. Um, but I, I, I kind of think like, well, I guess they're just the social butterflies of the cetacean. I was going to say, yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, well, I just like to be, you know, hanging out with all the different peeps here. Yeah. You know, just, it just, you know, like to, like to hang out with everybody. Equal Very opportunity. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the cool stuff about them. But now we have more fun facts brought to you. By yeah. Them. Yeah. So let me, yeah. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about their status. Um, so like Trevor and Cindy both mentioned, they are found throughout almost all of the world. Um, and as far as we know, they're not threatened. Um, they're listed mm -hmm. as a species of least concern by the IUCN. Um, they are protected by the Marine Mammal Protection Act throughout their range and also the CITES Appendix 2 throughout their range as well. And I guess they're under a specific annex document in the wider Caribbean region as well that offers them protection in that specific region. Um, in terms of threats, uh, many of these are similar to many of the other ones that we've mentioned in our previous cetacean marine mammal highlights episodes. So obviously climate change is a big one for these guys. Um, you know, like Cindy said, marine mammals follow the prey. And so climate change for all species is a problem in terms of their prey. Um, because a lot of times that will impact the prey species where they're found. Um, these guys might be in a little bit of a better situation because they are found in a much wider range. Um, yeah. But equally, it's hard if you know that you can go to a certain spot and always get prey and then all of a sudden you can't. That's a huge problem. Yeah, yeah and um, depends on if they're, like, there's their social learning and how their social structure is as to who knows that information. Exactly. And if they're really, you know, if they can be variable on that, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Which we, we don't really have a good handle on right now with right. that species. Um, another major threat is entanglement in fishing gear. Um, this is also a pretty common occurrence. Unfortunately, again, they have a wide range and a lot of that overlaps with fishing activity. And they, they had, um, I read, I read, up uh, where there's a, I think off the, of Catalina, um, there was a group that specifically was around other, uh, the squid boats, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And they went with, um, uh, as a, there was another species there. I think it was the false killer whale. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But they, so that, they do seem to follow sometimes, like they'll figure out if there is a fishery in an area. And again, like you said, mm -hmm. because they are so partial to squid, that would make a right. lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, so they are susceptible to things like gill nets, long lines, and trawls. Um, those are particularly detrimental for these guys. Um, hunting is another big one. So these guys are included in annual hunts in um, the following countries, which I actually listed oh. them out. So these guys are hunt still hunted for meat in Indonesia, in yeah. Japan, in parts of the Caribbean, um, Sri Lanka, and the Solomon Islands. Mm. Um, yeah. That. Yeah. And so most of them are hunted for meat. Um, occasionally some live animals are, are taken and sold to aquariums around the world as well. Um, and actually, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, that, that is one where they, they, it is one of the other few species besides bottomless dolphins that will be found in captivity. 
they're mm -hmm. a bit hardier, I guess. There's still not a lot of them, but that compared to other cetacean species, they're more yeah. common. Right. And this makes more sense too, if they are still being actively hunted, mm -hmm. um, there's more opportunity to catch them and, you know, impart them to other locations. So right. um, I'm sure many of you listening have heard of the movie, The Cove, mm -hmm. um, pretty hard hitting movie, but Taiji in Japan is a major location where these hunts occur. Um, and Riso's dolphins are often part of that annular hunt that they oh, do. I think that, and after the cove was out, they stopped doing the bottlenose dolphin one for a little while, but I think they still did like the, I think they did pilot whales as well. Yeah, they do pilot whales, um, resource dolphin. And I believe it's about a six month hunt period that they yes. are allowed to hunt for about six months. So it's kind of like, you know, it's like any other moderated hunt period, right? Where it's right. like, oh, this is hunting season. So apparently at least in Japan, which is the one that I looked up, um, they do have about a six month period where they're allowed to hunt these whales or dolphins rather. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So. There's that. Um, so okay. that's another source of threat, obviously, for these guys. Um, ocean noise is also a big one. So this has been, obviously, this is very detrimental for a lot of species. Um, and these guys in particular are susceptible, it seems, to um, sonar and specifically like naval sonar testing. Um, so that can prompt animals to strand um, or to basically have a you, you run away, right? So you hear this sound that sounds like a potential predator and it causes a, a flea response. And that can basically mean that the animal ends up doing dive behavior that's not normal. Um, and that a lot of times can end up in um, basically air bubbles accumulating in their blood and, um, and death potentially. So well, it would I guess be like these guys were, are susceptible to that. Yeah, if you were diving and a giant shark came by, yeah. you're like, oh my God! And you, right, right. And, really and you forget your training and you shoot to the top and then right. you, get the you don't get eaten by the like, shark, but you get bubbles in your blood and that's not good. Yeah, yeah, never a good thing. So that's, these guys are susceptible to that as well, apparently. Um, and then contaminants is another big one. Again, you know, these guys are, are found through many of the world's ocean and seas and they are relatively long lived. They can live up to about 30 years, I believe. Yeah, 39.6 was, 30, um, was the oldest individual that they knew. So yeah, so I think the kind of average is around about 25 to 30. Yeah. Um, so again, that's relatively long lived. So that's a long time of potentially accumulating these contaminants, which are stored in the fat layer, the blubber. Um, and if they are then in nutritional stress at any point and they metabolize that fat, they're getting dosed with contaminants. So like many of the marine mammals that we've already talked about that have blubber stores, this is, you know, this is an ongoing problem basically. So with that, those are all the threats that I had. So let's talk about some fun facts. Yes. Um, so first of all, you might be wondering, especially with our intro of how to say the name, Risa. why are they called Risos dolphins? So these guys are actually named after a French Italian naturalist named Antoine Risso, mm -hmm. um, who was alive from 1777 through 1846. And um, apparently his name was also given to several different fish species too. So I guess oh. he was, um, he was uh, out to discover. Right. Um, cool. And he was, it, which I didn't, I didn't have time to look into this further, but it said that he first, um, he first described this species to another researcher with the last name of Cuvier. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that's the gentleman that, yeah, I wonder if that was the gentleman who named the Cuvier's beaked whale. Yeah. So I'd have to look it up. I, I didn't have time to look that up while I was doing this research, but um, I thought that was kind of neat. Interesting. Um, I mean, I don't think that would be a fairly common name. So Right. And it's around about the same time period. So that would make sense. Um, so Mr. Riso gave his name to this dolphin species um, and his Latin name, which as Cindy already said, is Grampus grisius, 
Grampus is a combination of the Latin word for large or great and Pisces, which means fish. Mm-hmm. So Grampus is like a fusion word, okay. um, basically meaning large fish. And mm-hmm. Grisius means grizzled or gray mottled. Oh, well, that's very, so very pretty, pretty darn accurate. Um, so they are also the, so I have, this is a little bit of a nuanced statement, but they are the biggest delphinid that is still called a dolphin. Right. So obviously, as we all know, the killer whale is the largest species of dolphin, but these guys are actually the largest one that is still called a dolphin, which is a right. little bit pedantic, but, um, right. Same thing you know. with pilot whales too. They're dolphin, but we call them pilot whale. Right. Exactly. And actually part of that is that the Rhesus dolphins are sometimes considered part of the blackfish group, uh, which is, a, is sort of a subspecies of large delphinids, um, which includes pilot whales, killer whales, pygmy killer whales, and the melon-headed whales, mm-hmm. um, which I think is very interesting because those guys all kind of look relatively similar. And then you have the Rhesus dolphin that are kind of the outlier, like on the edge, like we're kind of like these guys, but we're also kind of not. We got a fun fin. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's funny. So Trevor, when you were saying they're really hard to mistake, that's true. If you see the body, if you only see the dorsal fin, because Mm. it's so large for their size, apparently people regularly mistake it for an orca fin. Oh, that would make sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that big, but yeah. No, but again, if you have no context of the animal underneath, And they are found, you know, their, their range overlaps with a lot of, you know, a lot of orca ranges as well. So sometimes they can be mistaken, but only really if you are just seeing the fin. And I assume mm-hmm. orca will attack Riso. I believe you know, I, so. I was sure they would. I don't think I've heard them as like, that's a species that they've eaten, but. I mean, if they'll eat minky whale, they'll probably eat that. <laughs> yeah, I don't well, think it's like specifically targeted, but I have no, heard of attacks on them yeah. before. I got I got to look up that Cla- uh, Diane Claridge paper because that was one where they had an orca in the Caribbean that went around and ate three different species in one day. Mm-hmm. And it could. I think they've had reports there. to. I think they've had reports of this like off. I want to say like off Hawaii or something as well, where they were mm-hmm. actually like. I, I have definitely seen pictures of a of a mammal eating killer whale like tossing a Reese's dolphin. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't. They it just doesn't their food and don't eat it. But you know that is very true. That is they're a little <laughs> bit like large cats sometimes. Seriously. Um. So this one's really fun. I actually had no idea about this story, but it's really cool. So a Riso's dolphin named Pelorus Jack <laughs> became famous in New Zealand. Apparently, this is in the early 1900s, and hmm. I guess he actually would guide boats across Cook Strait in New Zealand. What? Um. So he became kind of like the local the local favorite dolphin, and. Right. Apparently, he sparked the first governmental protection for a cetacean because someone fired a rifle at him oh. in 1904, and, the, and people were like up in arms. They're like, "How dare you target Polaris Jack? Government wow. do something!" So wow. yeah, and and obviously, because I grew up in Scotland, I had to throw this in there. Apparently, they named a Scottish Cayley dance after Polaris Jack. Oh. So personally, I don't recall ever having danced a Polaris Jack, but apparently, <laughs> that's a thing you can do if you go to a Cayley. So maybe I should request that next time I'm back. You should. You should. I would like to dance the Polaris Jack, please. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know the name of it. <laughs> but that that also, you know, just goes to show the power of the individual, right? Because yeah. you, you know these individuals, it becomes, you know, if it was just some random animal that they didn't know, nobody would have cared. But they because yep. that individual they knew and cared about that one. So by knowing them, that's why this photo ID and knowing the individuals is so important for all these species. 
Yeah. And especially cool because again, you know, this was kind of a symbiotic relationship in the sense mm-hmm. that the, the dolphin would guide the boats across this, you know, Cook Strait can be pretty sketchy, especially back in the early 1900s when your oh, yeah. technology was fairly limited for, you mm-hmm. know, for navigation. No, motor, no right. motorboats and things. Right. Rare. So yeah, so very cool. Um, and then the last little fun fact that I had is that um, the Risos dolphins do very similar to bottlenose dolphins. They do have unique frequencies of call. So um, we all, we have like the signature whistle in bottlenose mm-hmm. dolphins that we know of, which is a unique identifier to an individual. And these guys have something very similar, um, where they have a specific frequency of call that an individual makes. And that's how you know, it's that individual. So it's almost like knowing that specific pitch of voice is that well, animal. It's almost like on a, like a ham radio, you have a specific, don't you, for ham radios? I was wondering, oh, you have, like, maybe, maybe not, let's say you have a specific call sign, but. Mm-hmm. but having mm-hmm. yeah a specific like i'm calling on this frequency right here and so you know that it's me versus calling in on this fre- well you switch channels like on boat radios sure so you know who yeah. you're talking to that kind of thing yeah and it makes a lot of sense like you said i mean they're hanging out in in a lot of times larger groups and or groups of other species too so it mm-hmm. makes sense that you would need a way to identify which one is a con specific and then which one it is right um so those were all my fun facts. And then I think we we're just going to end today a little bit differently because, oh yeah, you have another fun fact. I do fact. have one. Well, I did, ooh, I, ooh. as we we're doing this, I looked up the hybrid. Oh, okay. Um, go for it. In the wild. And we'll, I'll, I'll link to this uh, in the show notes as well. But on, on they had a larger pod of 25 bottlenose dolphins, including a single adult Rizzo's, Rizzo's and three calves, one of which resembled a Rizzo's calf. Um, and then there's this, this adult, two apparent bottlenose dolphins surfacing together. However, the dolphin um, shows atypical features, including a shorter beak and a more pronounced head shape, reminiscent of a Rizzo's. So it basically looks like a bottlenose dolphin that you just took the rostrum, the beak, and just squished it. <laughs> it's like, Poor little it's, guy. And he's, then he's got this big, robust body. Like, he's not as streamlined as, I mean, bottlenose dolphins can be pretty chunky too, but it's not as, as you know, it looks more like a, the, the top half of a Rizzo's. And then the That's dorsal really fin to me actually looks quite larger too. It's, re- it's really kind of elongated mm. and taller. Um, yeah. So pretty, pretty interesting. Um, that's neat. And interesting that they were, it was with a big group of bottlenose. So that's the other thing too, right? Is, is this, are these, which one's the mom, which one's the dad and which one does the baby grow up with kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe uh, bottlenose, although you have bottlenose stealing babies. So there was a, recently there was a bottlenose that stole, I think a pilot whale baby. Pilot whale. Yeah. Um, and apparently it's a thing they do. So bottlenose are kind of crazy, <laughs> but they're not maybe all it, flipper guys. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I'll, I'll post those because the pictures are really interesting. It does it. You just like take the bottlenose off and just go. And that's yeah. what the face looks like. <laughs> That'd be cool to see. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so we, yeah, we're oh, going to end this one. Yeah. yeah real quick. Um, just because we all, when we were talking about doing resource dolphins, we all actually have seen resource dolphins at some point in life, which is really cool. Um, so I think we were just going to end this one with our own little individual stories of where and how we saw resource dolphins, which would be kind of fun. Yeah. So, um, I personally saw resource dolphins. I grew up in the Shetland islands for those of you who don't know, which are off the Northeast tip of Scotland in the middle of the North sea. Um, a little rock in the North sea. Yep, pretty much. Um, And we were fortunate enough to have um, basically an inlet right below our house. So we would regularly have marine mammals coming in there. And we actually had a pod of Rhesus dolphins come in there one time. So I ran down and had my little marine mammals of the world ID guide with me and got my binos out. marine biologist cat. Oh my gosh. I was like, I don't remember how old I was. I was maybe like 12. I can't remember. Um, 
I was so proud of myself because I successfully ID'd them. And then when they had pictures posted in the local paper, they said they were common dolphins. And I was like, excuse me, what? No, that's absolutely not true. So I, and I'm assuming a bunch of other people literally wrote a letter to the editor and was like, um, excuse me, this was, they were absolutely not common dolphins. Like there was nothing that looked like common dolphins about them. And like, that's not, that's not one that's even close. No. And I mean, like they were coming out of the water enough where you could see their head. Like, cause I I was like, what are these? This is really weird. Well, and Um, common dolphins generally have a a more, much more. They have an elongated rostrum. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was weird. Um, so anyway, they did post a retraction of the week okay. later and I, I felt personally validated that my ID skills were acknowledged, even though I'm sure it wasn't just my letter, <laughs> but it made, but that, made that might've been the, the solidification that yes, this is what I want to do and I'm good at it. So I'm going to be a right. And now you are. But yeah. So you similar to mine cool. too. Hmm? Oh, it's similar to mine too. When I saw them. Go ahead. Uh, Go for it. They're perfect. I was in Monterey Bay as one does and. I went to the Monterey Bay Aquarium and <laughs> so like we mentioned, risos tend to be deeper water dolphins, mm-hmm. but they, they can come to the co- onto the coastal areas following prey. Mm-hmm. That is and true. they've actually been seeing it more often in Monterey Bay lately. Mm-hmm. Anywho, we were at the aquarium, which was the dream come true. And <laughs> Great aquarium. I saw risos from the aquarium. And oh, the aquarium? Wow. Wow. Yeah, I had the binos and was watching them for, I don't know, five minutes and then went back inside because they left. And then probably 20 minutes later, then the dolphin alarm went off and then <laughs> they all went outside. And not to bash the Monterey Bay Aquarium, but the naturalist was telling us all about bottlenose dolphins. Oh, well, probably because that's like, that's most likely the ones that would have been there, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it was just everything I could do not to say, actually, those are... <laughs> no, excuse me? <laughs> I probably wouldn't have been able to stop myself. I would have been like, oh, no, excuse me. This is, this is species. But anyway, yeah, that, that was, we watched a little bit and then we left the aquarium and I don't know if it was the same pod or what, but about an hour later, we were watching the sea otters because nice. you do. Sea otters, yeah. mm-hmm. and saw another pod, I don't know, hundred yards offshore. Wow. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's pretty close. Cause they'll come up to like the <laughs> continental shelf and stuff, but getting that close. Yeah, that's when I didn't is... have the binoculars. So then like, yeah. well, that's obviously a resource. And then right. I think my mom and I just followed them for like 20 minutes down the coast and the car like leapfrogged them. There they are. There they are. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> that's so that's cool. really neat. And that goes to the power of being, what, what you can see from land. You know, you don't always have to be out on the boat yeah. to see them. So my um, interaction was on a boat. So when I worked with the Wild Dolphin Project in Florida, the um, study site was in the Bahamas. So we would cross the, um, the Gulf Stream. And that is a, an area that uh, not a lot of research is done in. Uh, and we actually wrote a paper about all the sightings that we've seen over the last like 20 years of going back and forth from the Bahamas um, because not much is known about the animals there. Uh, but one of those times we were crossing the Gulf Stream and this big pot of risos, risos came and they bow rode on on the bow we have oh, a catamaran cool. yeah and so it was just so good because we got to see them like right up close because they're right down below on the, on the bow and just seeing all the, the markings and stuff and um i think they i think they try to jump in the water to see if they would you know stick around because we we have a permit to be able to do that um but i think they they kind of took off after that um like they didn't stay around they were just like oh the boat's not moving i don't want to play on your boat right you lame boat bye <laughs> right come on um, but we, we got, we had, it was probably like a 30 or 40 minute encounter of them on the boat and just, um, bow riding and kind of playing around the surface and stuff. So it was Very really, really cool. cool. Yeah. To be able to see them so close. And, and that was one of the first, that was one of the first few years I was there. So 
and we, you know, most of the time we cross the Gulf Stream and we don't see anything. So anytime we do, mm -hmm. it's very exciting and always fun to be on the boat when that actually happens. So I was very, very happy to get to see that. So, yeah. So those are our, our stories of our close encounters with Rizos <laughs> <laughs> or Rizos, depending on how you want to say it. Um, so uh, next time we will, I guess we're going to give the gray seal another, another one shot. Last try. Yep. Yeah, I think, I think let's do one last shot with the gray seal. One last shot. Right. They're well, super gnarly guys. There's, they are. And we're going to get into it. If we do gray seals, there's a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm just excited. saying there's yeah. a lot. And we, we will do it eventually if it doesn't win again, but we'll we'll let it retire for a little bit and bring it back. By God, we're doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely going to do it. Um, so be on the lookout for that on the Instagram poll and always uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and if you can, you can also listen to us on a podcast here if you're, or on YouTube, depending on where you're listening to us right now. Um, so be sure to... Uh, stay in touch with us. And if you have anything that you guys want us to talk about or a specific species that you'd like us to do, of course, just let us know. And we'd love to get your, your thoughts on that. All right. All right. So uh, until next, next time, we'll have probably a journal review, I think. Um, yeah. We are going to be starting to add in some interviews and stuff like that. We have some plans, some stuff, ex exciting stuff planned for the next few months. So keep an eye out and we will see you next time. Bye. 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 This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. To learn more about the species we discuss, check out our blog. Head to our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M.org, to check it out. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks. <laughs>